0: Hello and welcome to this special City of Fremantle Hungerford Award edition of the Fremantle Press podcast. Today we are recording on Waililap in Wajak Noongar Buja and I'd like to acknowledge our first storytellers along with the Noongar Elders past, present and future. My name is Maria Pappas. My novel Skimming Stones won the City of Fremantle Hungerford Award in 2020. I'm delighted to be asked to help introduce you to the next round of Hungerford Writers. Those four shortlisted writers waiting expectedly for the announcement of the winner on Thursday the 20th of October. One of the first things we did as shortlisted entrants was to record a podcast, and I think it was the first time since I was a kid that I had heard my recorded voice. It was quite a surreal experience, but one that really showed me what was to come. Today's guest is Molly Schmidt, whose manuscript is a novel called Salt River Road. Take a listen as Fremantle Press publisher Georgia Richter describes why she chose this manuscript for the shortlist. Salt River Road is a novel that's set in the Great Southern in the aftermath of a beloved mother's illness and death and it explores the impact on the different siblings of the Tetley family and the structure of the novel is set up in such a way that they're really isolated from each other and their experiences are isolated and it moves between being prose and a verse novel and that sets up different emotional registers I find myself thoroughly immersed in this beautifully written novel, and it was really moving, especially towards the end. I found myself weeping, which is always a good sign of immersion. And that's because I was just so involved in the world of the Tetley family. And now let's hear from the writer herself. Molly Schmidt is a writer and a journalist, currently undertaking the Four Centres Emerging Writers Program, She is collaborating with Noongar Elders from her hometown Albany with the goal of producing a novel which actively pursues reconciliation between non-Aboriginal and Aboriginal peoples. She completed a thesis on the topic in 2021 and is now enjoying delving into her fiction writing. By day, Molly works as a radio producer and reporter for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, where her passion for storytelling is put to good use. Molly, welcome to the podcast and congratulations on making it to the shortlist.
1: Thank you so much, Maria.
0: First up, what does it feel like to be on the other side of the table, so to speak, being interviewed rather than being the interviewer for a change?
1: Oh, it's um, it's very strange. Um, through my work at ABC, I'm well accustomed to interviewing, but I'm always the one asking the questions and Yeah, it feels really strange to be the one that's answering them and sharing my story. Um, I do a lot of script writing for interviews for work, and I realised that I can't script my answers for this, which made me feel a little odd. Um, But yeah, it's a real honour to be here under these circumstances, Maria. So it's exciting, if not a bit nerve wracking.
0: Molly, tell us more about your shortlisted manuscript.
1: Sure. So um, Salt River Road is a coming of age story. It's set in regional WA um, in Albany and Tenterton, which is a regional farming community just off Albany Highway, uh, set in the late 1970s. So the manuscript draws on my personal experience of losing my dad to cancer, and it explores the reality of what this is actually like. So what a childhood looks like when it's lost to hospital corridors and waiting rooms and the gaping hole that a parent really does leave behind. I felt like in the passing of my dad, there was lots of talk and remembering of beautiful memories. And this was important and crucial, but it was like no one talked about the truth of the horror of losing someone to terminal cancer. You know, the, the length of the battle, the loss of dignity, the graphic nature of it all. And um, I really needed to put that on the page. and. Yeah, I mean, it's only part of the book. It's not a doom and gloom book, but um, I do get that um, truth of the loss on the page is through the perspective of teenage siblings, Rose and Frank Tetley. They lose their mum, and it really sets their world off kilter. Their sheep farm goes to ruins. Their dad just becomes this grief stricken ghost of the dad that they knew. And then, in among it all, there's a parallel narrative and. This narrative really acknowledges the stories and the wisdom of the traditional custodians from the great southern region where the book set um, so that's the menang and the goreng noongar people and yes i consulted and worked directly with them writing the book which was a huge privilege um, and there are two really important characters um noongar elders patsy and herbert and they really help the siblings deal with their grief But their presence in the story also uncovers some old wounds that involve um, the Tetley's dad and this Noongar family. And in order to move forwards, these past traumas have to be revisited to be healed.
0: Can you speak a little bit about the unusual shape and format of your novel?
1: Yeah, sure. So the story itself is a mix of prose and poetry. I found that I naturally turned to poetry when I was writing emotional scenes and um, in early draft stages, I edited the poetry out and then I, in another stage, wrote the whole book as a poem. Yeah, so lots of edits. And now what I've ended up with is a compromise, which is a bit of both. But um, in terms of that unusual shape, I think that that's because the mum dies in the first few pages. So you open the book to the crisis rather than build to it. And um, even though you're in crisis, the beginning is really slow. It's it's the slowest part of the whole book. There's a lot of reflection, lots of cups of tea, and the remembering goes on throughout the book as Rose and Frank make sense of their childhoods and the loss that they've experienced. One of the main conflicts that needs resolving has occurred in the past as well, so I guess that's unusual because the reader doesn't actually live through this conflict, but you hear about it as the dad reflects. Um, but it is this conflict that's resolved in the story of Salt River Road, so it kind of moves the story into the present. But I think a big part of that unusual structure, it's actually a little bit like Skimming Stones, Maria, in that you know it's a story about overcoming grief and the grief process isn't linear and it certainly doesn't follow a, a traditional
0: narrative curve. When you were speaking, I could definitely relate to your choice of, of structure here. You spoke earlier about the parallel um, narrative. I know one of your goals was to write a novel which actively pursued reconciliation between non-Aboriginal and Aboriginal people. Tell our listeners about the research that went into the writing of this work.
1: Sure. um, Yeah, this certainly became the real heart of the story. The book itself began as Boat Dancing, which was its original title, and Yeah, I guess as I mentioned, it was much more a um, work of therapy to start with and I realised that and I left it alone for years. It stayed in my bottom drawer of my desk. And then um, after working for some time as a journalist and having the real privilege of engaging with the Noongar community in Perth um, for storytelling in the media, I was really struck by this um, disregard and a mission of Aboriginal stories and voices in that media space. And I felt that as a WA writer in my fiction, I had a real responsibility to write in a manner that is inclusive of First Nations people. So, yeah, I kind of went back to boat dancing and looked at it and knew that I wanted to include Noongar people in the narrative. They were very much there. It's set in the 70s in regional WA, But I understood the importance of avoiding cultural appropriation and stereotypes and I didn't want it to be tokenistic. So I knew that I had good intentions, but I also really didn't have the answers. So I went back to uni and I undertook an honours project. I was incredibly lucky to be supervised by Noongar author Professor Kim Scott and another great author, Dr Brett Darcy. Um, And the project started out as a question. So Basically, I approached five Noongar elders in Albany and I asked them if, as a non-Aboriginal writer, I'm writing a work of fiction set in your town, should I include uh, Noongar people within my work? Do you want to be present in the pages? And the research was very um, place-specific. So I'm conscious that my research doesn't speak for any other community, but all five of these elders all said yes, they very much wanted to be represented within this book. And so then the research became, if so, how? Um, What sort of stories do you want to be present? Um, What is the scope of what I can and can't write? And yeah, the collaboration took place over two years. I extended the honours project because so much of it became about creating an authentic, deep connection with the elders a very small proportion of it was the formal research. So much of it was drinking tea and going on country and learning and listening. And, but what I did create that became a strong guideline for the writing of what became Salt River Road was a set of rules. One of them was to never write from the perspective of my Indigenous characters because as a non-Indigenous person, I could never be inside their mind. Another was not to name cultural sites. And a really interesting one that became a great guide for me was that um, all five of the elders that I spoke to mentioned that they felt like a story that's not often told is their engagement in the settlement of what is now Albany and the Great Southern. Um, so they talked about the physical backbreaking work of clearing the land, logging the trees, um, making what is now that farming community and how it's so often um, or always attributed to white settlement and these elders and their families actually did that that backbreaking work and felt that it was never attributed to them. So um, that was something I would never have known without speaking to them and is something that I've made sure to filter into the um, backstories of my Noongar elders. Yeah, there was so much I learned from them and they are so time poor and so sought after. And I'm just so grateful that they chose to spend time and create what's become a really beautiful friendship with me. So yeah, I'm very, very lucky.
0: Oh, wow. Thank you. Um, Molly, I'm intrigued by the structure of your manuscript and can't wait to hear it out loud. Could you please read us an extract?
1: Sure. So um, this one looks like a poem to people that would be looking at it on a page. There's Very little punctuation and no capital letters. It's from the perspective of Frank. Rose comes and stands in the doorway of my old bedroom. She looks straight in my eyes, the only one who still does that. She stands there, a footy under her arm and one of Steve's old shirts hanging loose round her shoulders. Rose Tetley, one of the boys. She keeps her hair short now, cuts it herself, all jagged. But her eyes are deep and round and brown and pretty, And they look at me with this look in them, this question, and, Mum, she looks so much like you. I hate her. Want to have a kick, she asks, balancing on one leg and leaning on the doorframe. Her voice is casual, but her eyes say, please. And, Mum, I can't. I can't even look at her. Nah, I say. She looks at her socks and she's wearing those ugly yellow ones you made, and I see a tear roll down my sister's cheek, and it breaks me and it feels good at the same time. To see someone feel something feels good. Her, her shoulders hunch in, but she tries again. Maybe in a bit, she asks. Fuck off, Rose, I say. She sucks her breath in and looks at me. It takes a lot to get to Rose, but I know how. And mum, I can't stop because I can hurt through her hurt. Hurting her makes me feel something. And I don't say anything else, but I just look into her eyes and try not to see you until she turns and walks away. Then I feel sick. I think about summer when we were little, when we would run through the paddocks, getting grass seeds in our hair, chasing that ball. Rose was good, she could run fast, almost as fast as me, which annoyed me back then. And you used to say, just let her win sometimes, Frank, she's only little. And sometimes she would win all by herself, but I'd tell her I went easy on her and she'd get so mad. She used to hit me with strong fists and we'd tumble in the dirt. Back then, Grey's knees were something to be proud of and you'd sit us on the laundry sink and clean us up with Dettol on cotton wool. We were the troublemakers, Rose and me. Joe would have had his nose in the National Geographic and Steve was already bigger, riding motorbikes, catching fish. Bertie wasn't with us yet, back then. Back then. I hate Rose for thinking I can be like that again, her brother Frank. How can anyone be the same after this? Birdie comes in a bit later with a cereal box on his head. I'm a robot, he says, and I punch his robot head. I can hear him crying in Rose's room. Mum, I think I've become a monster.
0: Thank you, Molly. That was so beautiful to listen to. (laughs) I really enjoyed that. What is the significance of making the shortlist? What do you hope it leads to?
1: Oh, it's, it's everything. I, I still can't believe it. It's an absolute dream. Um, this book has been the centre of my life for so many years, like almost half my life. And it's never been about, you know, writing a book, so to speak. It's been about the particular story and this story of overcoming grief and of listening to and learning from our country's traditional custodians. And it feels like regardless of what happens moving forwards from here simply being longlisted, let alone shortlisted was a huge step forwards towards this book hopefully being in people's hands one day. Yeah, Fremantle Press have been my dream publisher for Salt River Road, so to be recognized by them is super surreal. I'm still pinching myself and the idea that excites me the most is being able to hand one day hopefully this book to the elders that I consulted with and give them something real that um shows what we put together that I could never have done without them so yeah it just feels like my dream might be getting a little bit closer
0: Molly thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your work and your inspiration is there anything else you would like to share with us today
1: um I'd love to just thank and name the elders that I worked with if that's okay I worked with Uncle Lester Coyne, Auntie Avril Dean. Auntie Carol Pedersen, Uncle Ezard Flowers, and Uncle Glenn Colbung. And I, I really hope to include another elder soon, Auntie Elaine Minita. And I, I guess I'd just love to say that I feel like the um, real heart of my work is a belief that um, every writer that is not from a minority group has a responsibility to be inclusive when we're putting words on paper. And for me, the end goal is more minority voices writing their own stories. And it's so exciting. We're seeing that with indigenous stories, even here in WA, it's amazing. But I think because of that, it's not our responsibility to tell these stories, but we do need to make sure that we're writing about the same world and that that world does include indigenous people and queer people and people with disabilities. I think it's super important that these people are seen in fiction and especially written about in stories that don't limit them to just representing that minority group. I think that they really deserve to be presented as true fleshed out characters. And that was my goal. And I really hope that Salt River Road achieves that with with my Noongar characters.
0: I wish you all the very best of luck on the 20th of October when you're on stage at Fremantle Arts Centre waiting to hear whether you've won the City of Fremantle Hungerford Award. Listeners, you can help cheer Molly on by joining us in the audience. Tickets to the ceremony are free and you can secure your spot by jumping onto the Fremantle Press website or Eventbrite. I'm Maria Pappas, author of Skimming Stones, and I hope you'll join me very soon for the next Fremantle Press Hungerford podcast.